Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Link Podcast. E3, the world's biggest gaming convention, has just wrapped up and we've seen a barrage of news and reveals from the likes of Xbox, Nintendo, Ubisoft and others as they all do their best to convince us they've got what it takes to entertain us over the next 12 months. Pocalink's Rick Henderson joins me to discuss the big announcements. Meanwhile, Rick's been a busy boy this week. He's also been chatting and catching up with Philips TV and Sound Chief Design Officer Rod White about the relaunch of the company's Fidelio headphones line. And Pocalink editor Chris Hall has been driving the new Volkswagen ID4, the company's electric SUV. Can it really turn things around for VW? Stay tuned to find out. But first, back to you, Rick. There's been plenty of announcements. So where do we start? Well, this year's E3 was unlike any other. There wasn't one last year because of the uh, pandemic. And the pandemic still um, took took its toll on E3 this year in the fact that it was mm. an all-digital-only affair. Now, the downside of that is it didn't seem like there were as many announcements this year or as much um, hoo-ha as there normally is. However... There were some big companies involved, and you've mentioned them at the top of the show, Xbox and Nintendo being the prime ones. Um, So there were still plenty of fantastic games to watch. It wasn't like a normal E3 where you're absolutely swamped with three, four hundred games. But there are some great picks out there. So let's let's cut straight to the chase. The game to look forward to. For me... Um, a controversial choice, perhaps, uh, Forza Horizon 5. Oh. Um, a lot of people have been talking about other games, Elden Ring being a specific one. But Forza Horizon 5, for me, was the wow moment of the show. It The trailer, if you if you go onto PocketLint and you look, at, uh, look up our Xbox coverage, you'll see the Forza Horizon 5 trailer, and it is truly awesome. It's the first Forza Horizon to be built specifically for Xbox Series X and S. And so that so, means I suppose it's going to really shine because Forza Horizon 4 kind of got an upgrade, didn't it, to, to make it X, X and S compatible, so to speak. But it, it, it's obviously a, a rehash slightly, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, that was a rehash with 60 frames per second added, which looked stunning. Still, I still play it. Um, but the uh, the new one just, I mean, mind-bogglingly good. It looks at times photorealistic. It's got ray tracing. It really utilizes everything the Xbox Series X has to offer. Um, so I'm really excited by that one. Um, of mm. course, that wasn't the only thing. I tell you, the other almost slightly boring game that really wowed me was Flight Simulator on Xbox Series X. Yeah, that should be, um, I mean, that's obviously had huge success on the PC, hasn't it? But now this will bring it into people's living rooms as well. Indeed. Um, it's And the, the other thing that we've found out since is that Xbox One owners shouldn't be disheartened by all this Xbox Series X exclusive news in the fact that uh, Xbox is working on a way to bring cloud gaming to Xbox One so that Xbox One owners can play Flight Simulator and Forza Horizon 5 with all the graphics in, ta- in, in tow. So, you know, they'll look just as good as they do on an Xbox Series X. You'll just be playing over the cloud instead. 
Now, one of the big stories I thought from Xbox before we move on to the others is, was quite interesting was this kind of real focus on Games Pass and the idea that, you know, slightly before E3, the news that they're going to try and bring Xbox to everything. Indeed. Um, I'm, I think, personally, I think Xbox won the show, which is why we're talking about Xbox probably more than the others. Um and that's because it had multiple announcements. And one of them was the idea that Xbox Game Pass isn't going to just be limited to your mobile phone. It's also going to be coming to your smart TV. And Microsoft is planning to release its own streaming device to, uh, in case your smart TV isn't capable of playing the Xbox Game Pass app when available. And that just means that all you need is an Xbox controller. That is all you need, and you'll be able to play 200-plus Xbox One and Xbox uh, Series XS games on your TV. Which That's is huge. quite a shot of, across the bowel of things like um, Google Stadia. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think Google Stadia is going to struggle. By the, by the time that comes out, I think that's, that's the death knell of Google Stadia because you're talking about a £10.99 per month subscription for 200 of the world's best games. Yeah, it sounds impressive, doesn't it? Now, talking of games, uh, Microsoft, as you said, wasn't the only one at the show. Uh, what do we think of Nintendo's announcements? Had a pretty strong showing. I know that you were mildly non-plus because yeah. I think there was there was a hell of a lot of the more hardcore geekier games <laughs> within their presentation that will really appeal to JRPG fans or those that are, that, that are sort of like have been following Nintendo for many years. But yeah. I was quite obviously the big the big deal of that of their presentation was the Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild two or whatever it ends up being called. Um, it looks stunning. It looks exactly like Breath of the Wild, to be honest. It does, but I did think there was a lot more verticality around. Yes, it, if that's even a word. It's yeah. You know I mean? It felt like obviously the opening sequence felt like I was playing like someone was playing Fortnite. You know, you're parachuting into the action, but you know, there did feel like there was a lot more sort of Skyward stuff. I think they've that they, they'll expand. I mean, they didn't really say much. They just no. showed a nice trailer with some pretty music. But the um, but I I feel that they're going to expand the game world quite dramatically. Um, also, I would not be surprised. Although it is planned uh, for a 2022 release, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the thinking behind it is Nintendo Switch Pro. Now, Nintendo Switch Pro, the 4K Nintendo Switch with a better processor, isn't wasn't announced at E3 as some people previously predicted. Mm. Um, we still think it's coming this year, uh, but uh, I think that, like Legend of the original Legend of Zelda, which was Breath of the Wild, which was meant to be on Wii U, if you remember, yeah, and did in fact come out for Wii U as well as Switch. I think that hampered the Switch version slightly. I think this time, because uh, they're thinking of Switch Pro primarily and uh, and therefore it will be bigger and better. Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it would help, wouldn't it, to sell some Switch Pros if they've got Zelda, but then we don't really want them to wait another year for Switch Pro, do we? Because we want, we want the goods and stuff now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, right, now one of the perhaps more notable absences was Sony. Did they obviously didn't really say anything? I, I'm, I was I was genuinely surprised, and this, 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 as somebody said to me, the silence was deafening. Um, Sony kind of had an, a presentation before E3 for um, 
its new Horizon um, game, hmm. and that was about it. It's, uh, and obviously, Ratchet and Clank Rifts Apart sort of launched literally just before, um, which is a stunning game in itself. But it's it, it we can't help but feel that either Sony is building up to something big, and it will have its own event. In within in July August time, and and it will just blow everyone's socks off, or it's realised it doesn't really have as many exclusives as it would have wanted, and because its major rival Xbox bought Bethesda, it kind of felt like um, Sony's absence from E3 was really missed this time. Yeah, I wonder really whether noticed. it's I wonder whether it's just because they don't the stock shortages still are still affecting it, you know what's the point of throwing all your eggs and saying, well, look, we've got all these amazing games for a console that you can't actually, many people still can't actually buy. That was a general feeling on Twitter, actually. There was an awful lot of negative feeling where people going, yeah, this is all well and good, but I can't buy one. Yeah. Um, uh, even with the Xbox Series X. So, um, so you, that is a point, but of course you still have to show people the goods. You still have to dip your toes in the water and, what is it? You know, there are still many tens of millions of um, of units out there. They've they have sold particularly well already, better than they've ever done before. Both of them. Hmm. So, um, so it's not like there isn't an, a captive audience. I did feel that if you are a current gen owner or a last gen owner, as we now call it, um, of a PlayStation Four or an Xbox One, this wasn't a show for you. It really ignored you. Yeah. yeah, and and considering there were over what fifty million PlayStation Fours alone, um, that's that's a big market to just kind of put just aside. Forget about, it, move on. Yeah, especially as if they can't. I, I know the Xbox Series S is in. You know, it's got lots, lots of stock everywhere. You know, you don't, you won't have trouble buying one of those. But you know, the other two, it's kind of you know. The, the install base isn't there yet, so it's, it is quite strange. And won't be for a while. I mean, that again, though, this this proves why Xbox had the best show because Xbox Game Pass is sort of all-encompassing. And even if you don't own a console, they're basically saying that you're going to be able to play all these great games anyway. So um, so that's quite a, a such a big message. And in a way, that kind of dominated E3 for me. Still to come, Chris gives us his verdict on the VW ID4 electric SUV. I got in this car, I drove it to Cornwall for a week, I put the kids in it, I put the dog in it, um, but I was also able to load up the boot with enough stuff to be able to take away with us, so there were really no worries at all. Last year we saw a new Philips Fidelio product for the first time in five years with the X3 audiophile headphones bringing the brand back to the limelight. In 2021 and beyond, the Fidelio name will continue to bring us premium audio products, including a soundbar and additional headphones. Rick caught up with Philips TV and Sound Chief Design Officer Rod White to talk about Fidelio, what it stands for and how the design of each product is as important as its performance. He started by asking why there was a five-year gap between the Fidelio X2 and X3 headphones and why is now a good time for a return. Um, well, the gap that happened between the, the X2 and the X3 also coincided uh, with the time which um, the previous brand license uh, holder uh, ended the arrangement with Philips and we as uh, TP Vision took it up. So we've been running the Philips television um, category and also monitors over the last years. 
but uh, a few years ago we also absorbed the uh, the audio and headphone category so basically that's the reason and the shift uh, in time that it took for the the uh, next generation to come out and uh, as a design team uh, as as I'm head of the design department we came out of Philips from the consumer electronics world and basically picked it up from where it from where it was within Philips was the was the uh, that, that time scale was it beneficial because obviously uh, premium audio products kind of need a little space to breathe and they 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 last longer than say than a pair of headphones that are updated every year no exactly so even televisions are on a, an annual well a 12 month cycle to be refreshed apart from the very top end um, and realistically, I'm aware of the evolution of the early Fidelio headphones and also the home audio systems. But you see, looking back, as great as they are and the qualitative use of materials is is clear to see the age. So it it was they had a they had a great introduction to the market, but definitely it was time for the the uh, the X3 and now the L3 to come on board and push that story further down the track. Fidelio has always stood for audiophile quality, certainly in terms of performance, but is there a specific design language for a Fidelio product as well? From the beginning, uh, the, the, the building blocks of Fidelio, as you say, has always been about the performance. So the performance of the, the sound, the playback, whether it's speakers or headphones, uh, but also they're encased or part of the, the holistic approach to the design is that the performance is matched with a innovation in archetype or, or how basically how it looks in the shape, but also in the use of materials. So they're, they're very much hand in hand. How does the design for Fidelio typically differ from a regular Philips audio product? Um, I would say, as, as you're aware, Philips is a huge brand with many different business categories. And I would say normally the positioning of uh, Philips is quite a democratic mainstream brand position and certainly in the eye of the, the consumer or the user. So for Fidelio, it's always been about taking that up, up in towards premium in both the appearance, the feel, the, the touch uh, and also the performance. I mean, generally, um, even outside of headphones, do you think materials convey that feeling of of in, in enhanced performance purely because of the way they look the way they feel i think i think so also in audio all parts of audio um although it's about how your ears perceive the quality uh, they are very tactile products whether they're headphones uh, on the head or in the ear or whether they're um a stereo speaker system that you want to touch when you unpack it and then you're proud of it, you show your friends it, and then it's very much a tactile experience. So it's a, it's a holistic, um, good in the hand, good, in, good to touch, good to see. So it's good for the eyes and the ears. Um, a lot of modern headphones and speakers, uh, not necessarily in the, the high-end premium category, but a lot use a lot of plastics. Uh, do you think that that is, that is sort of like a, a modern style approach? or And do you think that using um, older, more traditional materials could actually also come across as a, with a modern feel? Yeah, very much. Um, as, a, as a Philips TV brand and uh, monitors, and now with the audio categories, we have a position of uh, European design. So as a design team, we're based in Amsterdam. 
And maybe about six years ago, we decided to put that into well, basically a, visi- a visible state of principles of European design. And one of those four principles are about innovative use of materials. And although uh, we do have plastic in our ranges, we try to minimize the, the amount of plastic basically from a sustainability standpoint, but we also think in the end, um, materials such as fabrics, le- real leathers and uh, metals are both um, reusable or recyclable, but also much more tactilely um, satisfying in the hand or, or on the head. Do you also think that they might last longer? It's sort of like you can put them on your shelf and pick them up again two, three years later and they look exactly the same as they did when you bought them. For sure, for sure. There's always the discussion about ageing with dignity. I'm not talking about myself, but <laughs> the, um, the the idea that if it's an aluminium holding frame for the uh, the headphones, for example, it's something through the journey of the product, especially if it's an outdoor uh, piece like the L3, they're going to come into some sort of robust uh, contact with other materials. But if it's a metal holding frame, that's okay. It's part of the journey of the product. And then if it's it's a more um, destructible material such as plastic, it, it will suffer and, and it will show it. How closely have you kept to the old traditional Fidelio-style design theme? Um, and could that change over time as you introduce new products, new categories? Yeah, I think a good example for that would be in the, well, to start with, is the soundbar um, category. So the original Fidelio soundbar with the detachable uh, left-right speakers, so you either have them docked on below the television or you can remove the the left and right and put it behind you on a battery to give you the home cinema experience that was ref uh, the product that we launched recently is referencing that classic fidelio product from a few years ago so in that sense it was building on what was there before but obviously the use of materials that you start to see coming in um, are evolving that story pushing it forward so in the past, there was quite a rugged uh, use of leather with heavy stitching, and we've kind of toned that down, basically reflecting where trends are for today and, and moving forward. So basically, um, there's less detailing, no unnecessary detailing is one of our other four principles of European design. So we want to communicate real materials, beautiful to touch, beautiful to look at, uh, but no extra uh, decoration when it's not needed. A soundbar is a good example. Um, do you also consider what it might look like with the t- a television, um, specifically, uh, you, obviously, the Philips uh, TVs? I think that in the end, the job of a soundbar, because its position is always pretty much close to the television, is to be there, perform um, well, and not dis- detract the eye of the TV viewer because it's about the sound experience and the picture quality on the screen. So yes, we, we did reference the color and material specifications for the soundbars uh, to the to our premium um, OLED plus ranges so that they're aligned. But in the end, the television, in the past we did similar exercises, but then there was a, a significant bezel on the television to align with. Today with OLED, it's pretty much edgeless and it's the stand that is the, the point of contact, obviously. You use quite a lot of mule head leather in certainly the um, the X3s, which I reviewed. Mm-hmm. Is that synonymous, basically, with the quality of the materials expected by a consumer? 
I w- yeah, I would say so. So we a few years ago we started with um, maybe it was about six years ago we started to bring bring quadrat fabric into our products as a European design proof point. Obviously, the acoustic transparency that they bring into television sound bases or now on the X3 the backs um, is excellent. But also the the wool fabric that they have is a very strong sustainability proof point. And similarly, when we decided that we wanted to have a, a real leather, Muirhead was the, the choice because um, apart from their carbon neutral position as a, as a company, uh, the quality of material that they can bring in and the detailing and the, basically what they can do with leather is, is, is quite incredible. Probably, I mean, you're used to having leather on your shoes, but when you work with a company like this, you really understand the finesse and the possibilities that the leather can bring through a company like Muirhead. Do you enjoy going out there and looking for new uh, material brands and new materials? How much of your day is looking at new sort of swatches and things like that? There is a fair bit of that. Actually, obviously, the last year and a half has has made that a little bit more uh, desk-bound than uh, getting on a plane. But for sure, an exciting part of being a designer is uh, imagining what could be a collaboration, what could be a new archetype, sketching with the team, uh, and through that, and obviously in alignment with the business, uh, identifying potential partners. And then quite often when we have a partner, whether it was Georg Jensen in the, in a few years ago with Audio um, or Muirhead, as soon as you get in a meeting, uh, then the, the vocabulary en- ends up being quite consistent because all these European different brands that we work with, Burrs and Wilkins being another, they are, uh, they're all set on a premium experience, whether it's audio or fabric or leather. So it's a, it's a very easy fit. And then the collaboration builds on itself. So it becomes a kind of one plus one equals three uh, dialogue. Does it help uh, working with people who are such experts in their own fields? Yeah, absolutely. Um, initially, actually, with the Burrs and Wilkins discussion, our picture quality guru, Danny, who you probably know, and uh, the equivalent um, acoustic expert in Burrs, they were basically singing from the same sheet from day one. Um, and similarly with the, the teams in Quadrat and Muirhead, the, the need and the desire for the perfect product is consistent. So then it's a very easy discussion and the collaboration is much more a team from day one uh, to get to the end result much more than it would be perceived as two different brands working trying to create a product finally um fidelio is a is obviously a sub brand of philips mm-hmm. and uh, and stands for the premium audio products are you surprised that other major manufacturers don't have such premium sub brands um, I would say there are very few, well, certainly in Europe, there are none, but generally there are very few global brands that are so wide as Philips. So we, you know, we cover massive healthcare solutions for hospitals to uh, shavers and into toothbrushes, you name it, we do it as a, as a Philips brand. So then that, that core democratic position uh, gives a certain expectation of the brand uh, into categories such as television. Um, and then when it comes to audio, um, similar thing. If you're at the cash desk in a in an electronic store and you have a kind of, uh, what's the word, um, 
um, a purchase there that you weren't planning, those the price of those products is very low. So then to be able to stretch that Philips brand from that low position up to very high is it's quite difficult. So then bringing in Fidelio gave us the gave us the capability a few years ago to basically reposition Philips in the context of premium audio by doing so. And many of the other brands that we're competing against are quite, it's not niche, but they're much more narrow in their focus. When VW launched the ID3, it was a start of a massive move for the company. The ID4 is perhaps more anticipated moving into the largest selling sector of the market, the family SUV. But has VW got it right? Is this the family SUV that will allow you to pile everything from the kids to the dogs in the back and yet still enjoy that sense of pride you can get from going electric? Pocklin editor Chris Hall has been driving the new SUV to find out. So, Chris, what's it like? Well, as you said in your introduction, it's highly anticipated because it does give people exactly what they want at the moment. And SUVs have been outselling all other types of cars for many, many years. That's very evident on the streets. You know, you just look mm. out your front door and you'll see them everywhere. And the ID4 fits exactly into that space. Mid-sized SUV. It's got plenty of space in the boot. It's got plenty of space in the back seat. So it's great for families. And it also comes in a range of different options, which means it's going to come at a different a range of different price points. So if you if you want a lot of range, that's going to be on offer. The, the version that I was driving had a 77 kilowatt battery, kilowatt hour battery. And what that means is that it will do around 300 miles, maybe a little bit more, depending on the type of driving that you're doing. And that's a really competitive range. And that's also priced to compete with other vehicles that will do similar sort of range. So there's a lot that's pouring into the ID4 that makes a lot of sense. So I think it's going to have very wide appeal at the moment. And why now? Like, why have we not seen an SUV from VW before or from, you know, you don't really see many electric SUVs on the road? No, you don't. I mean, the interesting thing about the way that the electric market has taken off is really, you know, Tesla started it. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. But they have focused very much on saloons to start with. Model S was huge. The Tesla Model 3 has been a huge success for them. But both of those are, are, are in saloon styles. It's only the X that takes a larger kind of SUV approach. And that is much more expensive than some of the SUVs that we're starting to see now. I think what really needed time to happen was for VW to develop a new platform across its group and then to get all of these pieces in place. Because unlike Tesla that was starting from scratch and say, hey, we're going to build this whole thing and ramp up, VW mm. have had a run into it where they've developed this platform that they share with other other um, with other companies within the, the larger group. So Seat and Audi, for example, have um, vehicles and Skoda are going to have vehicles that are almost exactly the same as the ID4 because they sit on the same platform, but they'll be characterized to their brand. Um, and I think that's that part of that is is why it's taken some time to get here, because what we're now going to see is the might of the group and the experience of being able to manufacture to scale and stuff like that, which is where a larger established group like VW may have an advantage over somebody like Tesla, because we all saw that Tesla had a lot of production problems you know, and never really being able to meet the yeah, demand. Yeah, learn how to do it all. Um, yeah, and, and well, anyway, Tesla has been a huge success story in electric cars. And in many respects, other manufacturers are running to keep up with what, what Tesla is doing. 
But I think with the VW badge that people find familiar and this proposition that is similar to VW SUVs that have been on the road before, with the advantage of being a solid electric offering, means that the ID4 is in a good position. So what did you like? What was the best thing about this car that you loved the most? Um, size and comfort. I got in this car. I drove it to Cornwall for a week. I put the kids in it. I put the dog in it. And yes, I did ask VW in advance if I could put the dog in it. And they said that I could. So <laughs> that's fine. Um, but I was also able to load up the boot with enough stuff to be able to take away with us. So there were really no worries at all. You can it, the, the capacity is is big in uk terms in the us this would be fairly small um but but yeah having that with the convenience of that that long range means you can get on the motorway and you could you can drive for hours without thinking do i need to recharge do i need to recharge so there's a good deal of efficiency that's going on here it feels as though it's been designed to be an electric car first rather than feeling like it's an old combustion model that was changed to be an electric car instead and that and i think that makes quite an important difference because i did the similar thing with an audi a few years ago and the the audi e-tron the first one that they brought out is a fantastic car but it feels like it's a combustion model that has become an electric car rather than the other way around and and what didn't you like about it what frustrated you well, there's actually a very small list of things that I found annoying about it, and there are, and the and the good news about that is there are the the things that I didn't like are things that can be easily changed. VW has stripped down the interior, minimised it, got rid of a lot of the buttons, and all of that stuff is great. They also have a new infotainment system with a new central display that controls a lot of this stuff. So, and they've in, tried to introduce uh, an interface that works very much like a smartphone, where you know you tap through to different areas and you get to stuff. In most places, that's really, really good. But there are some, let's say, questionable decisions that have been made. For example, if you want to look at the driver assistance functions, you go through to a, you, you press the button and you go through to a strange graphic that shows you a picture of a car with various elements around it. Like there's a sign on the wall and there's a, a beam coming out the front of the car. And you, you sit there looking at it thinking... I actually have no idea what any of this stuff is. And then you tap on it and then you find out what it is. And then you get the option to go through and change the settings that are related to it. And in reality, all of this stuff is fairly normal and it could just do with something that was a little bit more straightforward. In other areas, um, I was driving along one day, for example, and I couldn't change the volume on anything. The volume wasn't loud, but I couldn't turn anything up or down. It was like the volume control had crashed and that went away right. after I restarted the system. And and those 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 things just le- just point to a, a couple of software niggles. I mean, this is a brand new car running what's pretty much a brand new system. And you know, we saw some of these things in the ID three as well. So I I definitely think that this these points are going to get better. But for me, that was that was about it. Those were the things that concerned me the most. The actual driving of the car the handling the performance and all the rest of it i was i was really happy with and really impressed with cool and so if they let you keep it would you use this as your main car i absolutely would in fact um i shared the review that i wrote on twitter the other day and my wife was the first person to reply to say can we get one um ah, the, high uh, praise uh, yeah um the, the fact is that the the best model that they came out with was and the most exciting model was the the first edition 
which I don't know if you can still buy it, but that was the model that if you pre-ordered straight away, you'd get the first edition slightly unique with a with a slight with a slightly unique configuration that is just put there to encourage people to buy it. That had the bigger battery in it and it had a decent price in the UK around forty thousand pounds, which makes it kind of competitive with Tesla Model 3. Yeah. Um, now now things have changed slightly and they have released a full lineup. So you have different trims and you have different battery sizes. I think there are five different trim levels and there are two different battery sizes there's different motor options so vw is really going after offering people lots and lots of choices um and that means that you can get it from just over or just under thirty-five thousand pounds i believe um so at its lowest level it will qualify for the plug-in car grants and then the at the top end it will soar i think up to Oh, I don't know, well over 40,000. So there are lots of options in there. I hope they, they don't confuse too much because as as you'll know from Tesla, one of the great things is you, you say, I'll have this version or this version. And that's basically yeah, the only decision you have to make. Yeah, and which is nice. Exactly. To see, so. so yeah, I definitely keep it. I hope they just haven't introduced too many options to confuse people. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Until next time, pip pip.